0: I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17, Solomon writes, Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. Now imagine that you were to go to one of the nicest restaurants in the world, and you were served the most unbelievably delicious meal you could possibly dream of. What would it consist of? You know, for me, it would probably be a succulent filet mignon or a nice rack of baby back ribs or, you know, something along those lines. But let's say that after you finished with the meal, you found out that the chef who prepared your food happened to be someone who hates your guts. Now, to add insult to injury, people in the kitchen apparently saw this guy go to the bathroom and not wash his hands before he handled your food, and he did that just to spite you. Now, even if this seemed like the most delicious meal in the world, it's as if it instantly turns bitter in your stomach at this point, right? I mean, even your memory is affected because when you look back on that meal, you'll only remember the bad parts of it. Now, the question is, in retrospect, would you rather have had this meal or a meal prepared by someone who loves you dearly, although maybe the food wasn't all that satisfying. The principle that Solomon's trying to get at here isn't related to culinary skills. Rather, what he's trying to show us is that when love is the driving force behind someone's actions, it makes all the difference. It makes up for a lack of skill. It makes up for a lack of precision. So in light of this truth, Let love be the force that motivates your actions. God wants our actions to be compelled by the love that we have for him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's from John chapter 14, verse 15. So even if you stumble in your efforts to keep his commandments, the fact that your efforts are driven by your love for Jesus is more pleasing to God than someone who keeps his commands perfectly, if that were indeed possible to do, but doesn't do so out of love. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 18, Solomon writes, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Scripture reveals certain specific individuals to have been very hot-tempered, really temperamental people. One of those people is Caiaphas, who continually sought to murder Jesus. He was the high priest and a Sadducee, and it was during his high priesthood that John the Baptist began proclaiming the news of the coming Messiah, according to Luke chapter 3 verse 2. Now, while he hated Jesus and what Jesus stood for, he was something of a prophet, actually, although he was likely unaware of that when he foretold of what was coming and the significance of what he had prophesied. After Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, many people began to follow Jesus, and this created a stir with the people, some of whom went straight to the Pharisees. So John tells us that the Pharisees were saying, If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. John then adds, Quote, Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's from John chapter 11, verses 48 to 52. See, as a hot-tempered person, Caiaphas was ready to kill Jesus to save his own skin. Caiaphas was also there when Peter and John were brought before the high priest after the man who used to beg for alms outside of the temple gates was given the ability to walk. That's from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Once again, Caiaphas was ready to shed some blood. They made threats, but Peter stood firm and told them that he would obey God and not them. Now, tempers continued to escalate as the apostles refused to to stop their work. Some apostles were brought in once again to stand before the council. And again, Peter made it clear that he wasn't going to back down. Instead, Peter took the opportunity to continue in his work by sharing the gospel message with the council. And Luke tells us, quote, When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. That's from Acts chapter 5, verse 33. Fortunately, the dispute was calmed by a man who was slow to anger. Gamaliel was a Pharisee who was respected by the people and who was slow to anger. Rather than being eager to murder the apostles, Gamaliel instructed the council, to let them go. He said, quote, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. That's from Acts chapter five, verses 38 and 39. So the principle here is that when we act in anger, we cause problems. When we're slow to anger, we resolve problems. How you respond to a situation will influence the outcome for good or for bad. In the next verse, Proverbs 15, verse 19, Solomon writes, The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Solomon had warned us a few times already about the dangers of laziness throughout the book of Proverbs. He touched on the issue back in chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, and he also touched on it in chapter 13, verse 4. This time around, Solomon likens the lazy person's ways to a hedge of thorns. If there's one thing that'll slow down the production of a diligent person, it's a lazy person whose rate of production affects the rate of production of the diligent and hard-working person. And just like it's irritating to the skin to be pricked with a thorn, the hardworking person will feel frustrated and irritated when they have to wait on the person who feels like they can just take their time and mosey, even if it means slowing others down. The fact that the lazy person is contrasted with the upright person might seem puzzling on the surface. Is Solomon saying that a lazy person can't be upright? Well, to an extent, yes, there's definitely room for improvement there. The message here is that it's unethical to stand in the way of others when you're capable of doing otherwise. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 15, verses 20 to 21, Solomon writes, A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. Now on the surface, it might not seem that these two verses are intended to be tied together, but a look at the Hebrew text reveals that the words glad and joy are almost identical, and they have the same Hebrew root. See, respect for one's parents is another theme that Solomon has touched on multiple times in our study of the book of Proverbs. And the fact that verse 20 is nearly identical to the first verse from this section uh, of contrasts, back in chapter 10, verse 1, is something we should make note of. There we read that, quote, a wise son makes a father glad but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. So the only difference in this verse right here, uh, verse 20, is that a foolish person is said to despise their mother. There's a close connection between despising someone and causing them grief. If we continually cause someone grief, and we know that we're doing that, it makes sense that the most likely reason is because what? Because we despise them. This verse also carries the implication that if the foolish person despises and thus causes grief to their mother, then the wise person loves his parents, which in turn brings joy to their father. Literally translated, verse 21 would say, Folly is joy to him who lacks heart instead of lacking sense. And that's exactly what it would take for someone to continually despise and grieve one's mother, isn't it? Being foolish has its rewards and brings joy, but only to the fool. As Paul E. Koptak notes in his commentary on this verse, quote, only a fool finds joy in the foolishness of putting self and pleasure first, not considering the consequences of actions or caring about the effects of self on others, End quote. Solomon tells us that a person of understanding, on the other hand, walks straight. In the next verses, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, Solomon writes, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. We all face adversity in life, and how you face it will reveal what type of person you are. There are many causes of adversity, but Solomon narrows his focus here to planning. It's rarely wise, rarely wise, to act without considering all of the facts. Even Jesus warned his disciples of the importance of counting the cost of following him. That's in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. Solomon knew what types of results could come about by one acting on one's own accord, and it's in light of that wisdom that he encourages us to seek the counsel of others consider other opinions consider the options talk to people who have been there and done that and if possible weigh the counsel of people who have failed as well as the counsel who have succeeded the more informed your decision to act is the greater your chances of success will be in verse 23 here which is closely tied to verse 22 solomon reveals what you'll find when you make an informed Decision. You'll find joy, he says. And this is contrasted with the frustration of thwarted plans from verse 22 and ties into the previous verses in which joy. Is emphasized. Now, the first part of verse 23 could also be translated to say, Some find joy in the answer of their own mouth, uh, which seems kind of fitting. It seems to fit with what he said in verse 22 about seeking counsel. The implication is that the person who doesn't seek counsel finds joy in simply flapping their lips, in simply hearing themselves talk. Solomon tells us that a timely word, on the other hand, is desirable. In fact, a timely answer is delightful. Indeed, if someone warns us about doing something or counsels us to do something a certain way, it's delightful to experience that joy rather than the frustration of thwarted plans. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 24, Solomon writes, "The path of life leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below." This verse is closely connected to verse 19, where we read about the way of the upright being like a highway. If the path of life leads upward for the wise, the implication is that the path of life for the fool leads where? Leads downward, right? And that's exactly what Solomon's saying here. He warns us that by being wise and leading a life that leads upward, we avoid the grave. However, we should note that when Solomon refers to a path leading upward, that doesn't necessarily mean toward heaven. Instead, in light of Solomon's previous instruction that wisdom results in a prolonged life, which is something that he's touched on several times in the book of Proverbs, we should interpret this as simply saying that the path of the wise will be more likely to avoid untimely, premature unnecessary death. Nobody wants to die, but so many people seek happiness on the path that leads to premature death. True happiness is only found in knowing God and making him known. This concludes lesson two. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25, Solomon writes, The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Now, this proverb kicks off a subsection within the text, which is characterized by the use of the name of God, Yahweh, or Lord. Over the course of the rest of this chapter, we'll see Solomon refer to the Lord a total of four times, and this will carry over into the next chapter, where we'll see that the Lord is mentioned in each of the first seven verses. It's just something for us to be aware of and mindful of as we're reading through the text. Now, Solomon starts out this subsection by telling us that the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. there's one thing which is completely offensive to God. It's pride. It's pride that causes us to sin, because when we sin, we're essentially asserting our right to choose to do things that are contrary to God's will. Pride is a characteristic that can be found in both godly and ungodly people, unfortunately. The Christ follower, who has an issue with pride, can expect to be broken and humbled. When God tears down their house, so to speak, he does so in a way that forces them to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. the author of Hebrews knew this and thus reminded us that God will discipline those whom He loves and He scourges every son he receives. That's from Hebrews chapter twelve, verse six. God thus tears down the house of his children when they have a pride issue out of love. On the other hand, when God tears down the house of the unbeliever, the ungodly, he does so out of judgment. This verse also reveals that there are types of people whom the Lord Protects. Solomon tells us that the Lord will establish the boundary of the widow. What does that mean? Well, it means God has a heart for the broken, the meek, the humble, the down and out, the destitute. Such people are unlikely to have issues with pride because they've already hit rock bottom. That's where they are, and thus they're more likely to seek the Lord. When Job had lost everything except his own life and a couple of friends, he cried out, My spirit is broken and my days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. That's from Job chapter 17, verse 1. So the person who's broken in spirit is a person in whose life God can be welcomed and glorified. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 26, Solomon writes, Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. And this is actually the second reference to the Lord in this subsection of Proverbs. Like the previous verse, the theme here is those who ignore the Lord as the proud are prone to do. The proud person devises or schemes evil things because they believe that they either know better than God or they don't need God. And you know what? They don't even need to carry out their plans. Solomon tells us that the mere fact that a person is planning and devising some scheme which is contrary to God's righteous nature is an abomination to the Lord. This verse should be read and interpreted in light of the previous verse, which reveals that the very thoughts, the intentions of the proud are in and of themselves evil. Because it's our thoughts that drive our actions, the very thought of sinning is enough to offend God greatly. Now, that doesn't mean that we sin when the thought of doing something tempts us. Temptation in a person's heart and mind is different from the actual intention or plan to do something. Even Jesus was tempted in every way, like we are, and yet he was sinless in all of his ways. So, note, this verse does not carry the implication that temptation is a sin. It's when we've given in to temptation, in our mind that it crosses the line with God. And Solomon contrasts the evil intentions of the proud and arrogant with pleasant words, which he says are pure. And this is simply a reminder that there's nothing that we can hide from God. He sees our thoughts, hears our words, and pure words spring forth from a pure heart. This is pleasing to God. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, Solomon writes, He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. This verse is closely tied with verse 25, where we read that the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. One of the things that a prideful person will do is profit illicitly. The prideful person sees no need to be honest or uh, to follow the rules that someone else has set for them. They think they know better. They think they're above it, and they're going to live that way, and thus they don't have any intention of abiding by what someone else wants or demands. By making a profit in some illegal way, Solomon tells us that they're troubling their own house. They're bringing their whole house into the pathway of danger. Why? Because as Solomon has already pointed out, God will tear down the house of the prideful. The proud person wants more and more things and is willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. A person will often bribe public officials and officers as a way of maintaining that illicit profit. They thereby set their intentions on death, whether they realize it or not. They set their intentions without considering the consequences, not only for themselves, but for their house, their family, their children, their spouse, things like that, What we see here then is that the actions of the prideful not only endanger the prideful themselves, but they endanger those around them as well. This concludes Lesson 3. lesson four in Proverbs chapter 15 verses 28 and 29 Solomon writes, "The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. the Lord is far from the wicked but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Here we see that verses 28 and 29 are intended by Solomon to be inseparably connected. Now how do we know that? because what we see here is referred to as a chiastic structure. Whenever you see repetition in a verse or a passage that forms uh, a pattern like X, Y, Y, X, you can be sure that the author intended for it to all be one unit. Here we see Solomon start with a description of the righteous, follow that up with two descriptions of the wicked, followed by one description of the righteous. This is just one of those things that we want to look for when we're studying the Bible. So Solomon starts out by telling us that the heart of the The righteous contemplates before acting. Rather than saying the first thing that comes to mind, the righteous person exercises self-restraint, and they take the time to ponder about the type of response that they should use. This is contrasted with the wicked, who Solomon tells us pours out evil things. The thing is, our first reaction to things is often selfish and prideful. But our greatest influence and probability of influencing others toward righteousness is often something that we have to think about. Solomon's told us that the intentions of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. And because of that, Solomon tells us that the Lord is far from them. Obviously, God is Omnipresent, So they're not literally far away from him. Solomon's not disputing that. Uh, instead, he uses a figure of speech to tell us how far away the person has moved their heart from God. Finally, Solomon tells us the most important reason for a righteous person to ponder on how to answer. It's because the righteous and wise person will take time to pray before they respond. If the righteous person is hurt by something that was said to them, they realize the need to forgive as they pray, if they feel threatened by something that was said to them, they realize that God is their shelter as they pray. And of course, there's also the implication that the heart of the righteous isn't far away from God. The righteous person seeks to keep their heart close enough to God that they can feel his heart too. As Jonathan Edwards once wrote, quote, "...prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life." End quote. So the principle here is that the more you trust God, the more you'll seek God. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30, Solomon writes, Bright eyes gladden the heart, good news puts fat on the bones. Now, one of the keys to making a good impression with people is maintaining good eye contact. It's something that God actually kind of hardwired us to need. When people avoid eye contact, it usually means something, and we usually interpret their avoidance of eye contact as meaning that they're hiding something, right? I mean, this is one of the basics of reading body language. The fact is that when you make eye contact with people, you make them feel like they're noticed. And you know what? people like to be noticed. Thus Solomon tells us that bright eyes gladden the heart. And of course, we should note the repetition of glad and joy from verses 21 and 23. Now, while there's no contrast here, Solomon continues telling us that good news puts fat on the bones. Well, that's kind of an odd saying, but what Solomon's saying here is that the condition of a person's health is closely tied to the condition of a person's heart. Making eye contact and saying something nice about another person will almost always put a smile on that person's face. It'll almost always be uplifting to them. And that type of happiness is healthy, so give it a try. In the next verses, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 and 32, Solomon writes, He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, reproof and correction are cast in a positive light. I'd even go so far as to say that Solomon firmly believed that those are necessary things for us, and that we'd be wise to seek out people who can offer reproof and correction to us. Solomon tells us here that the person who's humble enough to listen, humble enough to listen to life-giving reproof, will dwell among the wise. For example, the child whose parents aren't happy with the people they hang out with will receive, what, they'll receive? reproof from their parents, right? But if the parents know that their kids are hanging out with wise people, they'll have nothing to complain about. If someone gives you reproof, it's because they love you. It's not because they want to make your life more difficult. If they didn't love you, they wouldn't care what you do or what you believe, and they wouldn't be interested in seeing a change for the better in your life. Change does require discipline, however. If a person isn't humble enough to both receive the reproof and initiate a change by exercising discipline in their lives, Solomon tells us that they despise themselves. They'd have to if they refuse to put into action the knowledge and insight that they've gained through reproof. So, with that said, don't just listen use the reproof offered by others, and put it into action in your life. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.